Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Picture Book Summit. Do you dream of creating picture books that will change a child's life? Of course you do. Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join us on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020 for keynotes from our award-winning, best-selling lineup, author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein-Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Don't delay. Deadline to register is September 30th. Go to picturebooksummit.com slash winner. That's picturebooksummit.com slash winner. Hi, Matthew Winner. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? Doing well. That's good. Yeah. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 621. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner if you want to support the show. Lots of good bonus content and a book club there, too. You can also leave a review of the show on the app you're using to listen right now. That helps a ton. Today I'm joined by Mike Carrado, longtime friend of the show. Mike shares Flamer, his YA graphic novel about a boy at scout camp the summer of 1995. Before I go any further, let me say first that this is not an episode for young listeners. The book is intended for a young adult audience and contains themes and language that reflects that, and we read parts of the book containing explicit language in our conversation. Listeners, that's your heads up. This book is a lot of things. It's a coming-of-age story. It confronts ideas of racism and homophobia. It looks at body image and coming to terms with identity in every sense of the word. It deals with issues of religion and of suicidal ideation. It is a powerful, and moving story with a climax that rises like a phoenix from the flames. But we'll get to all that in our conversation. Please welcome my guest, Mike Carrado, author and illustrator of Flamer. Hey, I'm Mike Carrado. Um, I am the author-illustrator of Flamer and the Little Elliot series, and I use he, him pronouns. 
Mike, welcome back to the show. You may be my most welcomed back guest in history. Hooray, and I love I'm that. Still number one. <laughs> I, I don't still, know. every time um, your name pops up wherever, I still go back to meeting you at Books of Wonder, which I know we've actually mentioned yeah. on recording before, but that that was that was a really special time for me. And then to meet little Elliot then and just to have that moment, um, I'm so grateful to to have sort of walked alongside you throughout your career and especially for Flamer for the book that brings us together today. So thanks for for sharing that part of your life with me, I guess. Question mark. Oh, thanks, Matthew. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I um we're talking about a book today that that is taking us away from the picture book world that that um so many of us have come to know you for uh and is rooted right in YA with this graphic novel Flamer. Um so we, knowing that I will have fourth graders listen to this, I'm just going to say that up front, children. I love that you want to read. I'm glad that you're going to, you're going to read this book. It's great. But, um, uh, I want to, um, uh, I don't even know how to get into this conversation, Mike. There's going to be so much that we're going to talk about. There's so much personal connection for me here. And I know that there's even, even more personal connection for you. Um, and so I'm excited to go. Would you mind just introducing us to this this new story, Flamer? And we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, well, Flamer is about um, a kid named Aiden Navarro. Uh, who is 14. He is away at a scout camp the summer before his first year of high school. Uh, and the year is 1995. Um, and he is dealing with a lot of stuff like, um, you know, typical coming of age stuff, but also, you know, navigating friendships and bullies and how those uh, things can intersect sometimes, uh, racism, body image, uh, you know, maybe a rough home life and all that is just the backdrop to him coming to terms with his sexuality. So, uh, you know, just something light. (laughs) (laughs) As you're like checking off the list of like coming of age, I'm like, I'm sure we've, I'm sure I left out some, some other harrowing things, but, um, yeah, that's the, the nerd dumb. We didn't talk about nerd dumb comics. Nerd I mean, it's heavy. It's a heavy read, but I have injected hopefully enough levity for people to be able to get through it. Um, yeah, I thought this book was amazing. I loved the the flashes to dream sequences and and references to to fantasy novels and 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 fantasy shows and comics and just all all those things i thought that that balance of uh, of levity of of hope or dreaming or whatever with the well with like flashing back to uh Aiden's relationship to his dad and more importantly his dad and the dynamic that dad um puts onto the family and his mom in particular the dynamic of Aiden with his mom being at times more of a a, a friend than a son right like there's a there's a lot going on there yeah yeah um he definitely you know is grappling with a lot of um 
stuff from home that he knows he's going to be heading back to. Like camp is kind of a refuge for him from from home, from school, from, uh, well, I mean, his religion follows him there too. Um, I forgot to mention that he has to face a lot of, you know, his trying to reconcile his beliefs with who he is. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> there is a lot going on. There's a lot. I mean, I guess as I'm saying this, it depends on the, the lens through which you sort of filter your values. For me, the religion aspect of it informing so much of of Aiden grappling with his identity and what to do really resonated with me. And I think that's because so much of how I was sort of molded was in light of the church and my, my family's involvement in church and uh, my parents' beliefs and me, you know, as a child, I think, I think before you really have beliefs of your own, you sort of interpret or, or uh, take on the beliefs of your family. And, and right. we meet Aiden at, at that time where I was recognizing um, that middle school, ish time where or leaving middle school time where a lot of that is happening where you're starting to to get a handle on identity and that you uh have some autonomy over how the world sees you and and how you want to walk through the world right i think um a struggle that a lot of youth go through um is that you know you only know the world that you were born into as you were just alluding to. And um, that can be scary if you don't fit into that world, if you feel like you, you don't fit or you can't fit. Um, and then the question is like, do I belong here? Um, so it can be really scary if you, if you don't know anything else. Um, so I think this book kind of addresses that because Aiden certainly doesn't, fit into the world that he he lives in Aiden has all of these um I want to say slip-ups but it's like um little turns of phrase or something that that reveal something about his true nature not only to his friends but to us as a reader uh that that I think are part of trying to navigate the world and just trying to examine how his world, the world that he knows intersects with the world that, you know, he's of the, of the other scouts that he's spending camp with this time with your, your book itself mm -hmm. is a really short timeline. It's, it's just really yeah, it's more, week. I would say it's a collection of days, <laughs> really. Your chapters are broken yeah. into days of the week. Yeah. And yet it, it, it is a potent week of self-discovery. <laughs> You know, I I grew up going to scout camp, and Me I too. also um, became a volunteer as an adult at a, a queer uh, youth camp. Um, and I can tell you from being a camper and being, you know, in more of a counselor uh, position, a lot happens in just one day of camp. Like, sure, so much drama compacted into just a few hours you could be you know at the top of your social status when you wake up 
come lunchtime, you could be cut down to like a social pariah. Nobody wants to talk to you. And then come campfire, everyone's like, okay, we're friends again. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's intense to, to be a part of that. And just to witness sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody, <laughs> let's all take a moment. Um, but yeah, um, I think, I think because as we were talking about before, because you don't know maybe much outside of your world when you're young, um, you know, your little bubble can feel so confining. And when something bad happens, it's like, Oh my God, there's no escape. I'm like stuck in this horrible situation. Um, for who knows how long, maybe forever. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I yeah. Think, so no, I was just going to say, I think being, yeah, being at camp too, as you were saying, has a tendency to propel things forward because you're, you're spending so much time confronting who you are. Uh, we, mm-hmm. I, I would do uh, Cub Scout camp. We would just be away for a couple of days, but when it was Boy Scout camp, it would be the full week or so. And, right. and as you're saying that the time spending every moment with your troop uh, or mm. breaking off to do different classes, but really <clears throat> spending a solid week with with any one or group of of other troop mates uh, gives you the opportunity to know them really well, or to feel attacked or marginalized by a certain one, really, mm-hmm. uh, or, mm-hmm. or 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 whatever. It, it does have a way of propelling things like that forward. But for the case of Aiden, too, it gives a lot of time to to think about and to examine who he is in the context of his friends, of, of the, of his troop mates, of uh, his friend that he writes to, of, of just, there's just a lot of thinking and, and experimenting with who you are played out in real time among friends. Let me test out what it's like to say this thing in front of a kid and, and watch what happens. I feel like weirdly, I never would have drawn this comparison otherwise, but having so much time, in house in quarantine has has caused mm-hmm. me personally to like get to know my family <laughs> and my children in a way that i i didn't realize i wasn't getting before when we would have breaks from one another when we would go to school uh or go to work yeah. that this time <laughs> together feels really concentrated and and as you said a lot a lot can happen in a week did you set yeah. off um to tell Aiden's story in this way with with this storytelling structure in mind of just spending a short amount of time at week, uh, that week at camp and exploring these questions of, of being in, uh, sort of this, I don't know, this charged male toxicity infused environment (laughs) of like, you know, teen or preteen boys talking about like, hot dogs and wieners and buns and all the things like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was that sort of well, how I you, mean, how you came to this story? Well there, well, there are two things. I mean, first of all, you know, a lot of, a lot of this story is based on personal experience. And that was my experience was doing one or two weeks of scout camp every summer. So that was kind of a typical structure. Um, but then also I really like the idea of having 
uh, each day of the week be a chapter um, because I've never written something so big before. And I really needed that structure to help me create my story arc. Um, so I actually have this spreadsheet where um, each column is a day of the week. And, you know, I just kind of uh would dump all of these ideas for what I wanted to go into the book and then I would kind of insert them into okay I think this would happen around here and um and then of course you have the structure of camp itself where you have merit badges at certain times and you know lunch and campfire and all these scheduled things so it, that whole structure of the week of camp helped me um, write this, <laughs> it, it created, uh, the bones for it. The, the rhythm to camp, uh, was something that I think serves really well here because we have these moments where, where kids act a certain way because this is like, oh, it's time for lights out. So we're all going to go into each other's tents and do stuff. And like, there's a, there's a, a rhythm to that or to, shower times or to this or to that that um i think can cause for us as readers to be reading along with aiden or to to feel as if at moments that we are that we are aiden himself as we're as we're reading you know when we read comics we project ourselves into the characters that we're seeing so right. to to have moments of of knowing that we're approaching a a, a time of day that that is an uncomfortable time uh, was something I thought I thought was really powerful in your storytelling, and I also really loved the moments of of how the boys that he's with. We see some kids that are just like playing around, being stupid, saying stupid like horny jokes all the time, <laughs> or homophobic jokes, or both at the same time. Right. Um, and you get this bullying, but then you also get friendship and and standing up in ways that that just sort of show that these boys are just kind of trying to go about their day and no one's mm -hmm. really that hateful or or this whatever it's not so binary per se i'm thinking in particular of um when um this is like a third of the way through the book when um one of his campmates says to aiden what are you crying for and Aiden mm -hmm. says, um, I'm just going to skip ahead. He says, this guy's bothering me. He called me a Chinese faggot. Why don't you just call him a faggot back? Because I I hate that word. Mm -hmm. And and then we get this space of the, the, the troop mate saying, well, don't take it so personal. Guys call each other faggots all the time. And Aiden saying, so I'm just supposed to be okay with that? And... And then having the, the 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 guy turn on him and say, "I don't know what to tell you. Maybe if you wouldn't cry like a little bitch all the time, then people wouldn't say that shit to you. If you keep reacting like that, people are going to think you really are a faggot. Got to man up, buddy. To have to have that space of of this language coming up over and over with Aiden getting upset about it, and to have somebody try to comfort, but also." To use that language just to man up, I feel like it, it mm -hmm. is this very toxic space as as scouts, I think, traditionally has been. They've gotten a lot of criticism for being this space that is 
that that does feed into this toxic image of of manhood. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that space has to be or is that way for all people. I certainly didn't feel that way, but I understand. Uh, I understand uh, how other people um, have had that experience in that space. I think I actually don't think it's you know only relegated to scouting. I just oh, think sure. as as boys, I'm sure any you know anyone who identifies as male growing up was told at some point that they need to man up. And, you know, that's the whole thing about, you know, what you're saying about how these guys are just trying to get through their day. And it's like, um, I think people are just trying to prove their manhood, you know, um, it's a, it's a rough age when, you know, you're, starting to come into your own but you know you're not like a grown person yet you know like a grown-up um but you're still a person and you you want agency you want um to feel like you have some control and so i think i think boys really um harp on each other a lot because they're just you know like chest pounding they're just trying to prove like i'm i'm a man i'm strong i can I'll show you, you know, and, um, but oftentimes that comes with, you know, a consequence. And there are people like Aiden who are like, I'm not playing that game. Like, that's not what I'm about. And, you know, and they're, they're tortured for that. Um, you know, whether, whether you're gay or not, like there's some guys that just don't, they just don't want to play that game. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm here for them. You know what I mean? Like this, <laughs> this is all stuff that's been said to me growing up, you know. Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. Did you? I don't know if I addressed all of your questions there. But... <laughs> I, I, no, I can feel Mike that I don't have explicit questions. I have like all reactions to this book. Yeah, few questions to this book, right? I um, I think about there's different scenes throughout, but I think about um, I think about the shower scene, a terrifying scene for any boy of any age to go shower. I remember learning when I moved high schools that we were gonna have to shower after gym, and then finding out that 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 it was like optional, and just how much that terrified me because of just comparing bodies and being aware of your body and what does that mean yeah. and how you just don't want to get teased period it doesn't really have anything to do with in that space it doesn't have anything to do with um your sexual identity it just is about not wanting attention drawn to yourself and yet there are as we see in the the shower scene in this book there are boys that are completely comfortable in that space enough to even tease other boys mm-hmm. about not taking off their their swim trunks when they're in the shower um there's there's moments 
of of you were talking about chest pounding. There's moments of um, the the one boy asking about um, Violet, asking about the girl that Mike or that um, Aiden writes to, um, and you have Mike him saying things like, "Well, does she have a nice butt? I bet she has a really nice rack." And just these moments of like. They feel awkward even for the kids saying it to be like, this is the thing I'm supposed to say, right? That, right, right. That just like, feels... Oh, I, I cringe, yeah. Yeah, it just feels comical <laughs> to be like, she's got a really nice butt, right? Like, when did anyone ever feel comfortable ever saying that period? So it just, it felt uh, humorous to have that moment, but then also to have Aiden share the story um, of... of to share a story that that would have been awkward for uh, she and Aiden to experience, but has has the friend think that Aiden is just like the most amazing guy for having this this uh, this this moment with her. There's just moments this here, accidental of, moment, yeah. right? This accidental moment, uh, tie or weaving those those things in. I. I I guess where I came to this book is just really appreciating how how true it felt like you you got boys or kids identifying as boys just trying to figure out what it means to occupy a space together without people identifying as a different gender in the same space. That felt really mm-hmm. like a space that I didn't feel was explored too much. Or maybe it was also like tapping into why I love movies like Stand By Me or things like that, that it just felt like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a space to sort of figure out what it, what it, what boyhood means through the lens of these mm. kids in this book. Right. Right. Yeah. And I personally, well, Aiden and I have this in common. He says this in the book, but you know, I usually have an easier time making friends with, women and when I was little with girls like it was it just it was just easier for me um we seemed to have more in common but um you know it it was challenging for me to maintain friendships with other guys and um I think that's something Aiden is really trying like you know something else that I wanted to show in this book was you know, while he does have a crush on one of his fellow campers, um, it's just the one. And he's really, he really just wants to be friends with other guys, which I, I think there's this homophobic, uh, belief that, you know, a gay guy has the hots for like every other guy, you know, every every single one. That's right. Like, okay, no, (laughs) like don't flatter yourself. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to show that it's like Aiden earnestly does want to be friends with people without any ulterior, you know, ulterior motives. Um, and even, even his crush, he's just like, they are really good friends and he is having a hard time coming to terms with the fact that he does have a crush on him. And he's like, Oh my God, you know, he really doesn't want to lose his friend. Um, but also what does it mean to interpret tiny signals am i reading this wrong does he really have an interest in me or not you give aiden such innocent sweet moments um in the beginning of the of the story too where where his friend likes this girl uh and and aiden is like well pretend that i'm her no really talk to me like i'm her and it's just this sweet moment of sensitivity but also you can see that aiden 
is 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 really finding value or love or or something in the moment of of getting being talked to with that affection from this boy it's really mm. sweet i found myself reading the entire book i was reading waiting for them to get a scene out on the lake in a canoe because you you showed them in this canoe and how they were great um mm-hmm. a great pair because he could paddle really fast and Aiden could steer really well but it just also felt like this was a moment they had together it was just intimacy beyond uh romantic intimacy that it just feels good to be right. close to to friends to people it feels good to have that closeness yeah yeah i mean they they obviously had a special bond and yeah, it, it was a friendly bond, but you know, more than like a casual friendly bond, but not necessarily a romantic bond. You know, it's, it's interesting. I can't remember the culture now. I just learned about, oh man, this other culture where they have several different words for love and they each have a different meaning, which I thought was amazing. Um, you know, and so there, I, I'm sure there's a word in that language that's like, you know, a deep friendship, like a a loving friendship. Yeah. And I think that's what, what they have. Mike, we, I want to get into... Jean Grey and the Phoenix and the connection to that and the way oh, I wanna... there's not enough time but okay. uh, no there's not <laughs> but the way I want to transition into that is is one of the turning points in this book is it Aiden throughout is really struggling with feeling like he has to be something that he's not which is I think a universal feeling every single reader I think can identify with the feeling of feeling like your friends or the world are telling you to be a certain way, but, but that doesn't feel true to you. I feel like that's a universal thing as much as it feels so personal to me. It can't be. And at one point Aiden gets so angry and says, whenever I try to act normal, everyone just makes fun of me even more because they know I can't, I'm screwed Mm. either way. So I give up. I can't please any of you. Why can't you get that? I'm not you and I can never be you. And yet being able to name that emotion in still struggles internally with, with reconciling that he knows the truth. He knows he can't be anyone. And yet he's feeling the, 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 the pressure that if I can't be anyone else, then I can't be, maybe I just can't mm-hmm. be, maybe there's something that, that is defective or just wrong about me. And then how do you, how mm-hmm. do you move forward with that? And that brings us to an, an incident of self harm for Aiden. And so mm-hmm. I, I want to f- first walk back and ask about how you envisioned this story in the first place, because where you go with Aiden, I think really does speak to the wrestling with the complex emotions uh, around identity and, and accept acceptance among peers. So can you walk us from, from when you first were conceiving this story, Mike? Yeah. Um, well, I, 
was thinking about, you know, what is, you know, I off, often authors will hear the call to action of, you know, write the book that you didn't have, um, that you wish you had as a kid. And, you know, I'd heard that a lot. And, you know, the first thing I thought of was like, well, I never saw queer people in, in literature when I was a youth. And, um, and, you know, I could go on, like, I also didn't see, like, Asian boys. Um, and so an Asian queer boy, like, I'm definitely, you know, like, I, I didn't see till I was, like, an adult. Um, so I wanted to make a book that um, added to the, I'm happy to say, growing a uh, queer library um, because it, you know, it comes in, it comes in kind of layers of like, okay, we have some gay books, but they're mostly like male and white. And now we have some lesbian books and now we have some, you know, uh, gay male books of color. And now we have some uh, transgender books. And now we have some queer books where, you know, gender is fluid and, you know, it's just, we just need more and more and more of different iterations. And I think publishers are waking up to the fact that it's not, you know, just like, well, we have our gay book, you know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, well, you didn't, you didn't cover everything in one (laughs) book. Did you? Um, that's, that's like saying like, well, we have our, our, book that covers the color blue so we don't need any other books with blue in it i feel like the only Um, way to be more on the nose about it would be to start an imprint called monolith and just publish the one gay book through that imprint (laughs) (laughs) this has got it all the only book you'll ever need um so anyway i was getting a little broad with that no Uh, you you saw a need for something that that you didn't have Um, yeah but also you know, bring it to a personal place. And I talked about this in the afterward. Um, one thing that I will own up to that was just kind of taken uh, from a moment in my life was, um, was the part of the book where Aiden is, you know, having suicidal ideation. And that scene was me um, kneeling in a chapel in a summer camp with a knife and being like, I just don't know if I can do this. And I was just so scared. I was like literally scared to death. And I, so working on this book was partly for me to kind of work through that childhood trauma, but then more so I wanted it to be, hopefully a sort of beacon for people that are going through that because as much as things have changed since I was Aiden's age, um, I'm 39 now and, you know, I feel very, uh, safe in my skin and, um, you know, and we've, we've had some strides with, uh, inclusivity and, you know, legal rights. But I mean, the, there's still a lot of people who, um, are being marginalized and 
lots of parts of the world where it's not okay and it's dangerous to be out. Even in this country, there are still places where there are children who are scared to admit who they are. And I just want them to be able to see themselves because um, I, I want them to be safe. You know, I mean, it's one thing to keep children safe from others, but, you know, how do you keep someone safe from themselves if they, um, if they, if they turn on themselves? Um, so that's, that was the idea for making this was, okay, well, at least if, hopefully this book could get into someone's hands who needed it like that, they would at least have a book character they could relate with to be like, okay, he, he stuck around and I can too, uh, even if it is going to suck for a while. <laughs> um, yeah. When did the connection with Jean Grey come in for you? Oh, I've always been Jean Grey's number one fan. That so long. I, cool. <laughs> yeah, I um, I got into X-Men when I was in middle school, thanks to the, the animated series. Incredible animated of series course. from the 90s. <laughs> um, amazing, amazing. And then so that prompted me to get into the comics. So I started reading the, you know the then contemporary comics but then I, I ended up buying like tons of back issues and I was obsessed I was like I need the whole story and um so I I bought a lot and then also there were these amazing reprints like these giant you know graphic novel size just reprints the collections mm-hmm. of like all the uncanny x-men stories since the beginning and so I I had read like everything from the sixties up until, you know, um, I was collecting every month, I think until sometime in the middle of college. So any 1963 to like 2002, I could tell you whatever you want to know, wow. <laughs> the X-Men. but I really was obsessed with Jean Grey and the Phoenix saga was like my favorite storyline. Oh yeah. Um, which I just have to say, like, the movies have really not done justice um, to the writing, the original writing, um, because there's this whole element of self-sacrifice um, that I was like, wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I liked her powers. I'm like, oh, my God, you could, like, read minds and, like, float things around um and and then the phoenix of course had uh like limitless power i mean so it was just interesting to me this concept of like okay someone who is viewed as like a weaker person in the group who actually i thought was like one of the more powerful ones um suddenly gains limitless control over the whole world and then when she discovers that the world is in danger because of her because she can destroy it like you know with the bat of an eye then she's like oh i need to like protect everyone else and she like destroys herself but of course it's a marvel comic so she comes back to life so um (laughs) but you know without 
without the same amount of power. But anyway, um, that so was you, interesting to me. So you carried that. I mean, you 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 have been a fan. You've been carrying that story with you as you yeah. were as you were thinking about Flamer. As you were thinking about this story, were those two uh, tied together from the start? Then I don't know about from the start. Um, I think. I'm trying to think when I was like, okay, I definitely need to get this in there. Um, because I, I, I'm sure it was, it was very early on, like thinking about, you know, the, the fiery Phoenix and like, I knew from the beginning there would be this like thread of visual thread of fire. Yeah. Um, in fact, so I, I should, started, like, I should point out Mike, just, just cause we're on an audio podcast. That yeah. your entire comic is black and white, except for flames, except for the, those yes. tinges of of glowing orange or of actual flames on the on the page. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly um, fire, and like sometimes there will be an inanimate object that I want to draw the viewer's attention to, or it'll be an entire scene will be kind of. Um, a monotone red to evoke some kind of emotion. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, in the beginning I was just kind of writing down all these different, uh, visual, uh, thoughts about fire, you know, different things and, and situations. And of course, of course, Phoenix came up like very early on. So I didn't know how I was going to work her in, but then I was like, ah, ha, 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 ha. (laughs) Um, And I love, one of my favorite nerdy moments is when he and his friend David are um, (laughs) comparing Wolverine Wolverine and Jean Grey, because this is the great thing about being a writer. It's like, well, at least I get to have the last say in my own book. Because that always annoyed me. It's like, oh, it's always the Wolverine show. Yeah, I know. He's, he's, He's great. I love Wolverine, but I'm just like, why is it always Wolverine? I'm like, when's Jean going to have her spinoff or whatever? And um, so the two boys are like fighting about who who could take who out. <laughs> I love it. I love, too, um, yeah. how much the fire is brought back into the story and how in the beginning of the book, since we've already mentioned some of the end, how in the beginning of the book you've got that match strike, that line catching fire um, to light the campfire for, for dinner. Um, But then as we have that moment in the church uh, with the knife where Aiden is considering cutting himself, um, we, you bring back that image of, of that line of that match strike uh, catching fire. I thought that was so powerful. That ignition uh, moment worked really well, uh, in in both imagery and then what ended up being i feel like some of the fastest page turns of a of an end of a comic i've ever read i was like oh my word i'm almost done i'm almost done (laughs) it's going so fast it's all catching fire and i'll tell you um oh this is a scoop because i haven't said this in any other interviews but um that's not the original intro to the book um there was something bothering me about the original intro and it was before we uh, not went to press, but right before we got our first proofs, I was like, 
is this intro bothering anyone else? I, I think I need to change it. And, um, cause originally he, the, the intro was like a fantasy, um, of him, of his like idealized self. It was like, hi, I'm Aiden Navarro and I'm 14 and I'm buff and I've got lots of friends. Like this whole <laughs> kind of, um, you know, just imagining, and then it cuts to him, like someone calling out his name and they're like, what about that fire? Um, but we agreed like perhaps something a little more poetic that tied into the, the deeper feelings of the book would be more appropriate. So um, I'm, I'm much happier I think it, it's a lot more profound and as, as you're saying especially like when you got to the end so it, it kind of like ties it together better I think that cover to cover you've done beautiful work Mike I love your line work in this book that you're using did you use a brush for most of the art it just uh, feels so the line work is a black color pencil nice. and the uh, everything else is an ink wash it just um, felt like like it, it didn't feel as like like a fine tip pen. It felt a little bit more. Uh, well, to be honest, I felt like it it, it felt a, a rougher edge. It felt softer. It yeah. felt like being out in nature. <laughs> I don't want to be too over the top describing it, but I. It, it but was that's something... exactly the idea. Because yeah. uh, the original sample I did for the book. So when I submitted my manuscript, I sent over some sample art, like a did a sample scene from the book and um it's way different it's more like almost like how i draw little elliot where it's like a fine pencil line with lots of shading and um it just didn't feel right and it's like i need this to be a lot rougher um to kind of convey the raw emotions of the book and and yeah to reflect being out in nature and I went through a lot of art tests. It was really a journey uh, to get to the style. But then once I figured it out, it's like, aha, <laughs> finally. Um, so I'm glad. I'm glad uh, you got that. I Not only did I, I love that, I just, it just felt like a, a different style for you. And it just, it was, it was just nice. I liked it. But I also, um, before we go, wanted to bring up um, the the role of adults in Aiden's life, and in particular, mm -hmm. his orienteering teacher. And uh, we don't need to, you know, necessarily spoil where that goes, but but rather what it meant to you to bring to bring adults into his story to to act as allies or caretakers or just people that Aiden can look up to yeah um and I'll also add um well I'll say this I mean a, a teenager is gonna be very focused on other teenagers but um I as a teenager like I was always listening to the adults even if I wasn't talking with them I was always listening like what are they saying what are they talking about um because I actually wanted to be in on the conversation. Sometimes I would um, get in on like the grown-up conversations, but um, 
so I say that because there's a scene in the book also where he overhears these adult leaders kind of talking about um, some homophobic stuff and he really takes that to heart. And I think um, people should be aware, you know, it's like kids are listening to what you're saying. Um, even if you think they can't understand, they may not understand, but they're going to remember you know, I remember overhearing, you know, lots of different adult conversations where I was like, oh, wow, I know I can't be myself around them. Um, or I, I know that they're not an ally, like they're not someone I can look to for support if something happened to me. Um, but anyway, and, and then, yes, so important having people uh, and your life to look up to, um, that you do feel safe around, um, which is, yeah, he has all those types, um, in his story. Um, well, I was, I was and, grateful. And, I, I was just going to say, I was grateful for the arcs of the adults, for the adults to, to be complicated individuals, <laughs> complex individuals, and for Aiden to be able to reflect on his own life in the context of, of what he observed the adults going through. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the case of his scoutmaster, um, I think the scoutmaster would, is a would be ally who just doesn't understand what's going on. Um, which I think is also often the case, um, not just adults and, and youth, but sometimes you just don't know what's going on with someone else in your life, you know, yeah. unless they've told you. Yeah. Um, there could be a whole can of worms. Um, and so like, Oh my gosh, I just didn't know. So your, your story, I want to bring up again that it's that the, that it's historical fiction, right? That it's taking place when I can say when we were both that age, because I know we're the same age. I um, know. <laughs> but, but which is probably why it resonated for me that way. Cause I was like, I was Aiden at this age. Like I get it. And I was at these places, but we've, again, you and I have talked about many, many shared interests were there. Um, but to, I know that I read a lot of queer stories and I, um, much like in stories that center African-American identity, uh, trying to move, uh, I don't know, white readers away from constantly focusing on black pain is important, much like I think in queer literature, trying to give space so that queer characters don't always have to be coming out is important Yeah, for you to yeah. go the route you did with this story. Um, I thought was so interesting, Mike, because it, it obviously is not just about coming out. It's about much, much more than that. But I, I wanted to say to you that I one of the things I valued most about this story was the way that it showed all of the characters in this dance together about how every single one of them thought in some way about identity, about um, gender identity, about sexual identity, and... Um, and what it looked like for them to dance together and to step in and out of this dance together. Uh, and how, despite that being, you know, 20 years ago or so, uh, in the case of this story, how readers today um, can be thinking about how how far away from or 
perhaps not so far away from that dance, we all still are. And I, I found that to be really beautiful and helpful to hold that up, thinking about it uh, myself. Where am I in this dance now? And where are others? And how can we continue to engage one another in this space and in having these conversations and calling out things, but also giving space for kids to to wrestle with our own, uh, with the way we each walk through time and space and relationship to one another. I felt like you you did a beautiful job in in setting that up, that that no one character is drawn out here as like, look how awful and bad and homophobic they are. Rather, they're all in this dance and every one of them has to figure out how they can occupy the same space together, which is what we in current time are doing as well. So, so thank you for the, the beautiful, messy complexity you brought to this story in that way, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Matthew. And I, um, I agree that we need more queer books that show queer joy and, um, queer people being boring and, you know, just showing queer people as three-dimensional people. Um, so, and I think there are more and more titles coming out like that. Um, so while this, this kind of like, it's somewhere in between the whole like sure uh <laughs> high drama um uh quasi coming out story i mean and and it's interesting because this isn't i don't really consider this a coming out story i've heard people refer I, to it as i that. would not it, um it feels because he doesn't no it <laughs> feels way more to me like a not, not if I would, this sounds stupid to say it this way, but a coming out no. to yourself of, of a, yes. of a, of a yeah. naming an identity, a self-realization. Thank yeah. you. But, yeah, but that, that space to me was, was sacred in your book. It was beautiful. And that was space that I didn't have as a child. And so to enter into a book and to, to inhabit that space, that really private space where Aiden is exploring this on his own and yet we are all looking in that there's an intimacy there that's afforded to each of us that that I think you do with a lot of great care it's it's just really beautiful thanks I mean and that's certainly what I that was the point was um this isn't about um what Aiden has to prove to others this is about Aiden facing and accepting himself in his own internal space and in, in his own good time. And that's something that I would like to encourage everyone to be able to do. Um, and, you know, coming out to other people, that's, that's really secondary to knowing who you are. Um, I'll, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think I think that that's beautiful. Thank you again, Mike, for setting time aside to talk with me. Thanks, Matthew, for having me again for the 10,000th time, and I look forward to 10,001. Would you like to share a message? Can I ask you to share a message? I'll see a library full of children. We've started school. Is there a message that I can bring to readers from you? Oh, sure. Um, well, of course, I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy um and 
I'm so happy that uh, we have books. <laughs> um, so I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're you're still able to read um, to get out of your COVID bubble. I know I have been doing that. So, um, so happy reading. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.